Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast, presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Before we get to the new host of NFL Live, Laura Rutledge, and fantasy expert John Hansen, sizing up the fantasy football season that is 2020, first there are some other developments that impact the NFL world that are unfolding as we speak. And of course, many of them relate to the pandemic, as so much of what happens today does. And we are awaiting to see whether college football goes on. And whether or not it goes on, I think, will impact how the NFL season plays out later on. Because if, indeed, college football is canceled or postponed or pushed back, there is a real opportunity for the NFL to move into more days of the calendar later on, especially after hockey wraps in early October and basketball wraps in mid-October and baseball wraps at the end of October and the presidential election occurs. There is a window of time there in November and December where the NFL can completely control the sports calendar. It will anyway, but it would do it on a more regular basis where it could wind up moving games, I think, to Saturdays during the season. And it would not be like it has to accommodate fans. There aren't going to be fans in the stands this year, by and large. And it's not like it has to worry about hotels in other cities for teams because teams don't have to compete with anybody for hotel rooms. So I think there's a real chance that if college football goes away, that the NFL will adapt and adjust its schedule to make it such that there are more days of more NFL games going on and that the league will take further control of the sports calendar. That's one issue that the league will have to wrestle with. Another one that it is having to wrestle with right now are the rules and restrictions that teams have to go through during COVID testing. Think about this. A player has to pass three COVID tests in four days before a team will allow him on the field. So when Jordan Reed reaches agreement with the 49ers and goes out to San Francisco, even though he has a deal in place, even though he passes his physical, it's about five days before they can actually get him on the field. So the NFL may need to take a look at that because if we go and move this forward into the season, think about this. A team's play, think about this. A team plays Monday night, loses two wide receivers to injury. It has to bring in wide receivers the next day. Guess what? Works out wide receivers, decides which one or two it's going to sign, and signs those players. But before those players can get on the field to help that team, They've got to pass three COVID tests in four days and wait another day for the results. So it's five days before those players can get on the field. So they can't go through practice that week. And the team that needs help at that position, whatever team it is, whatever position it is, can't get those guys on field to practice. What if it's a quarterback? What if a team loses two quarterbacks to injury, which we've seen happen in a game, and it needs to bring in a new quarterback to get them ready for the next game? Well, there's a bunch of COVID tests that that player has to pass before the team can get him back out on the field. I can tell you this, it's an issue that has general managers and front office executives and coaches across the league worried and wondering how they'll handle the loss of players at a position if they need to be replaced. The waiting period, which you understand, is there, and it could very well impact and influence this upcoming football season. And before we move on to these guests, we should also point out what the new Washington football team head coach, Ron Rivera, 
has had to put up with this season since he took that job in Washington in January. Think about what that organization has been through. They've been through a situation where they decided to lose their former name, review the events for a new name, have the Washington Post come out with a long expose on all that's gone wrong and the culture that existed within that organization for years now. And then over the weekend, of course, Washington football team sees its former second-round draft pick, Darius Geis, involved in a heinous act, domestic violence, and decides to release him, which Ron Rivera was the face of. Just more controversy surrounding that team. And one coach who hasn't coached a single minute of a single game yet has had to deal with so many other issues, which, again, I think goes to show you that sometimes in the NFL, being a head coach is way more than X's and O's. There is so much involved with being the face of an organization, the CEO, unofficial CEO of a team. And Ron Rivera has proven that so far this season. All right, before we get into today's episode, I want to remind everyone with the much anticipated start of the 2020 football season just around the corner, make sure you're staying up to date on all your fantasy football news with ESPN fantasy experts Matthew Berryfield, Yates, Stefania Bell, Mike Clay, and Daniel Dopp on the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. You'll get daily strategy previews and injury reports to ensure you have all the information you'll need for your fantasy football team. Be sure to download and subscribe to Fantasy Focus Football and the Adam Schefter Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, the new host of NFL Live. Is this the great Laura Rutledge? I think I'm here. I would not say the great, but I but I am definitely Laura Rutledge, as far okay, as allow, I know. Allow me to introduce you in a different way then, Laura. How about Laura Rutledge, the new host of NFL Live? How does that sound? Uh, it sounds amazing, and it's something that every single time I hear somebody say it, I, I feel like I'm pinching myself, and I can't believe you know, that I, I'm getting this opportunity, but at the same time, so excited and so ready to get going and uh, ready to just talk some football again, right? How did this happen? How does a, if, I know we're not supposed to talk about the age of women, but your age is so impressive that I think it's a comp, like 31. And I was saying to my great producer, Christina, before you came on, there are many people who hand and handle themselves at the age of 31, the way you handle yourself, and I mean that in the most complimentary of ways, you act very professional, very prepared, very mature. I, I did not act the way you did at 31. So how does somebody come into this position? Thank you uh, for that compliment, first of all. And, and you know, I don't know. It, it's one of those things where I look back on kind of a wide variety of experience that I've had so far in my life. And I think there are a, a few key moments that probably stick out to me. But um, one of the things going all the way back to, you know, being in middle school and high school, I, I was a really serious ballet dancer. So everything was based around the commitment to that craft and um, just, just, 
chasing a dream, but also striving for perfection that I was never going to get to. And then, you know, turning that same desire toward this and this business when I got to college and decided that I wanted to do this. And I think um, there's just a drive that probably makes me half crazy some of the time, but also is, is part of my commitment to excellence at all times. And um, I think that's maybe part of why, you know, I've, I've gotten to this point, but the other big key to all of it is just the kindness that I've been showed along the way um, by so many and, and the help and being willing to accept criticism and, and find ways to make myself better. And, you know, none of that's ever going to change. Where did the drive to succeed in sports come from? Where did that interest come from, Laura? So when I was in college um, and, you know, I had just given up my ballet career and I thought, what am I going to do? Uh, and so I wanted to make some extra money on campus at the University of Florida. And so somebody said that there was an on-campus radio station that I, you know, should go check out. And I thought, well, that's great. I, I grew up listening to NPR. I loved radio. And when I went in there, they said, well, we'll take you, but we, we only have one opening and it's in sports. I thought, all right, well, I like sports, you know, and, and oh my goodness, I, I went up there. I was terrible. This, this uh, radio station gave me multiple chances, thank goodness. And I was able to, you know, kind of get hooked. But I, I realized very early on that I loved the fact that I wasn't good at it and that I needed a lot of work uh, around it and um, just was hungry for every single opportunity there. And, and it also helped that I was at Florida for a really good time in sports and, you know, being there from 07 to 11, you, you think about the Tebow years and uh, basketball had recently had a ton of success, gymnastics, softball. So, so I just covered a wide variety of sports and a higher profile platform probably than I would have otherwise. And, and I was hooked. And then while I was there, my niche was in college football recruiting. And so the scouting side of the game was just fascinating to me. And that was really how I cut my teeth and got involved in this business early on. So you wait, you reported on that or gave radio reports on that? Or how were you involved in the college recruiting back then? Well, somebody told me that I needed a niche. And so I thought, okay, my niche is going to be college football recruiting because those were the days when the subscription websites were a really big deal and it was becoming this thing that was gaining a lot of steam. I realized there really wasn't much of a female presence in it. So I thought, okay, this is going to be my niche. Now that was easier said than done because it required figuring out how to, you know, to your point, report on it and what I was going to do. And so I basically just traveled up and down the state of Florida and I would go to all of the Nike camps, the seven on seven camps camps, all of that, and, and covered a, a ton of high-profile guys now. I mean, I was at one of Amari Cooper's first seven-on-seven -seven tournaments where, um, you know, you saw him out there, and, and you're like, wait, that guy's just better than everybody else, so someone's going to have to come out here and look at him. He really wasn't getting a lot of offers at that point, point. and the funny thing is, I just started tweeting out some things that I would get, some information about some guys, like, hey, you know, some... Alabama's here checking out this player or this guy got an offer and and uh, people just saw my tweets and and that was kind of how I got into that world I started working for scout.com while I was in high in college and then um, from there just kept that going as I entered into my actual career once I graduated and what happens then that is key to your career and you being where you are today what what were some turning points there so I think one of the big keys is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Malcolm Gladwell and his book, oh, yeah. um, but oh, yeah. it, one of his advice, one of his pieces of advice I think is so huge is that if you're going to be good at anything, 10, really hours. good at it, the 10,000 hours, exactly. So, <laughs> 
I got my 10,000 hours very early on because I was doing baseball reporting. And that connection came through um, doing an internship that I did for Fox Sports Florida. They needed somebody to do Rays baseball games. So I, yeah. I was the reporter for the Tampa Bay Rays, um, actually the sen my senior spring of college, and then did it another year following that. And I, I had no TV experience because I had only done radio, but because of the amount of baseball games and just the amount of time that I spent on that, I, I think that was really a, a turning point for me, just getting the reps. And then, you know, I finally got my opportunity at ESPN in 2014 when the SEC network was starting. And I sent probably 27 emails to all these ESPN people trying to just let them see if they would give me an interview. Finally, they give me an interview for the SEC network about, two weeks before it was launching in the Atlanta airport. And I thought there is no way I'm getting this job. And so I, I had basically decided that, you know, I was freelancing at the time at CNN doing some CNN international work. And I thought that's going to be my next job. And, and I'm not going to get this SEC network job. And then sure enough, uh, they called me and, and said that I would get the job on the SEC network, one of the football packages. And I think the, the, my final, you know, sort of turning point was um, when I got to ESPN, I, I had worked my way up pretty decently at Fox Sports, but I, I knew I would have a long way to go at ESPN. So I just kind of committed to doing whatever they asked me to do. So early on, I mean, I was doing SEC gymnastics reporting. I knew nothing about gymnastics. I was doing softball, baseball, anything that they threw my yeah. way. And um, it was just really good experience. Yeah, it's so funny. First of all, the 10,000 hours theory that we're talking about is something that Malcolm Gladwell espoused in one of his books. I think it was either The Tipping Point or The Outliers. It's the outliers, the outliers, I think. Yeah, yeah, okay. And he wrote in that book that basically anybody who excels in any area or specializes in any field needs 10,000 hours of training before they can be effective and good at it, right? Am I summarizing that correctly, Laura? That's it. Yeah. And so basically you did your 10,000 hours of reporting and in listening to your story, it's very interesting because I go back over my career and it's the same kind of thing where mm. you're starting. I was at graduate school at Northwestern, the Medill school of journalism. I'm working for the Chicago tribune on the weekends on weekday nights, doing whatever it is that nobody else would do wrestling, volleyball, swim meets, <laughs> curling right. matches that I had no idea what the hell was going on, but you'll do anything that it takes. And you're very quietly accumulating your 10,000 hours in that particular right. field and getting the training. They're paying you to get the training that you need to learn the business. So what, so whatever happened to your ballet career, like why couldn't you make it in that? Well, you know, the, the thing that was interesting about that is that I loved it. I loved the performing aspect. I loved classical music. I loved all of it. Hmm. But I really, to be totally honest, was never going to be good enough. I, I, was, I was good. I was good enough to get, you know, a couple of offers at some smaller companies, things like that. But um, I just wasn't ever going to be that good. And I, I was, it, it, that bothered me. I wasn't, I didn't like being sort of the mediocre ballet dancer. And no matter yeah. what I did, there were just some things. Uh, I won't go into all the details. My turnout's not good enough. My feet didn't point well enough. You know, all of those things. I was always overcoming that, though, because I loved it. And so um, I still miss it every day. I still love the arts. And, and that's sort of like the, a departure from what I do now. But I, I will always love the arts and I'll always love ballet. Yeah, you just reminded me of a story, though. Last weekend, I think it was. My son 
who my wife had with her first husband, who she lost in 9-11, was up visiting his basically father's father. And they hmm. went to a driving range um, near, near his grandfather's home. And um, my son, our son, texted me and my wife, and he said, we're, we're, we're on the driving range. There's only three of us here. It's me, Pop, and, and a famous ball, ballet guy who was in Sex in the City. I'm like, yeah, that's Barishnikov. Oh my goodness. What's Barishnikov <laughs> doing there? <laughs> he, he lives up there and plays golf right near, right near my father-in-law. It's so insane. I said, I said to my son, I said, do you realize how famous and right. how, how notorious that guy is? Like, do you, do you and, and, and I don't, he knows him as the actor from Sex in the City. Not that me. is amazing. This famous ballet guy from Sex in the City is out here at the driving range. Right? I mean, that, that's, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Now, now, here's something else that's amazing, right? Back in 2012, you win Miss Florida. Miss Florida. Like, <laughs> I've never had a Miss Anything on this podcast before. Oh, Miss man. Florida? What, what do we remember about that, Laura? I tell you what, what an adventure that was. Uh, it, when, when I was in college, you know, I had never even watched a pageant. That wasn't something that my family did. We didn't ever watch Miss America. But when I was in college, some of my friends thought it would be funny because you have to keep in mind, I mean, I was, I was basically borderline tomboy at that point. Like I would show up to the radio station in sweatpants. I didn't care. They thought it'd be funny to sign me up for the Miss UF pageant just as a joke on me. And I thought, you guys are crazy. I'm not doing that. But then I looked at it and it was giving a donation to Children's Miracle Network. And I thought, well, now I can't back out because I want to give this donation and, and I care about that. So I thought, fine, I'll embarrass myself on stage for the kids, you know, whatever. <laughs> I get up there and, and somehow I, I got first runner up at Miss UF in, in 2010. And so the journey goes on and on. I realized I could win a lot of scholarship money. I actually won over $40,000 in scholarship money and, and the money can only be used for scholarships. So that was great, you know, to help pay my parents back for college and, and all of those things. And um, I somehow won Miss Florida after competing in it for three years. And that was in 2012, went to Miss America. I got top 15 at Miss America, but I tell you what, I got cut after the swimsuit portion, which is apparently <laughs> the worst thing you can do as Miss Florida. I mean, like Miss Florida is not supposed to get cut after the swimsuit portion. So I sort of felt like I had a walk of shame out of there. But um, either way, it was it was it was so interesting. I mean, it's one of those things that you just never think you're going to do in your life. Uh, and I somehow ended up there and really was so impressed with a lot of the women that I competed with. A lot of them I'm still friends with. And you know, it was really interesting to see kind of how they all use that scholarship money to, to go on and do great things with their careers. So who would have thought that the new host of NFL Live is an accomplished ballerina, a former Miss Florida <laughs> who almost won Miss America, and a recruit, recruiting guru as well? Like, I mean, there are all sorts of skills that I didn't realize that you, Laura Rutledge, had. You are a true Renaissance woman. I am so weird. I think that's really the best way to put it. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is, it, it's been a, a, a weird life already. I'm very thankful for all of it. And I tell you what, I promise you that all of those skills somehow equal out into something that works well on NFL Live, <laughs> even if it doesn't seem like it would. Well, listen, I, that's how life works. You 
think you have an idea of how you would like it to go. It goes in an entirely different direction. We, mm-hmm. look, we need to look no further than the way this entire year has gone, right? I mean, Oof. yes. Yeah, I mean, the year, how about this week alone, Laura, right? This week alone, no power in my house still, okay? Oh my goodness. We have a generator power and, and, and we both lose our agent, right? I know. It's been crazy. Yeah, the, you can't great, even make it up. The, the great Nick Khan called me with the news that he was departing to leave the business to become the president of WWE. And as you know, he is unbelievable at what he does. Yeah, it's, a, it's so interesting. I mean, I always admire people that have reached great success in one career and are at the top of the business and then say, you know what, I want to try something different. And, and why not? Um, and I hope that you know, when I'm at that age or at that point of, of life, if I would ever be so lucky as to be as successful as someone like him, that maybe I would have some options to make some change and, and go do something else. I mean, why not, right? Life's too short to well, you, you've to done back. that. You've done, you've done, <laughs> right? you've done that already. Like I said, so, you, that's you, true. The, you, the difference is I wasn't quite as successful as like you or Nick Khan, no. for instance, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I love that. I think life, you just have to, you have to find all of these ways to challenge yourself. And so I admire what Nick's doing, you know, trying something different out there. So from Nick Khan to NFL Live, what do you envision the show to be like in general and for yourself personally as the host of this show going forward? Well, look, I mean, this show has been uh, such a staple on ESPN for all these years for good reason. And so, you know, it's not like we're coming into this thing thinking, well, we're just going to reinvent the wheel or something like that. No, it it is NFL Live is a football show. And that's one of the things that I've always loved about it is being just a fan of the show for all these years. And so we're talking with Marcus Spears and Dan Orlovsky and Mina Kimes and Keyshawn Johnson and um, a variety of other people. Hopefully we can get you on the show, Adam, as much as I'm doing three Um, (laughs) three days a week. They don't tell the host I'm doing three days a week. You know what? They told me that, but I was like, I hope that that's absolutely true. So I'm, I, it's great to hear it from your mouth. Um, and, and look, that's, we're, we're, we're giving the news. We're talking about football. We're giving people pieces of information that they wouldn't otherwise find. Dan Orlovsky is a savant with a touch screen and showing people a film breakdown. Marcus Spears has so much fun and such a great personality. Mina Kimes is such an excellent NFL analyst. Keyshawn brings that personality and just a unique perspective to the table. So uh, putting all of that together in a show every day at 4 p.m., I am so incredibly excited for. And, and, you know, for me personally, to answer your question on that end, I think my goal is to be like a fan up there, to ask the questions that fans at home are maybe thinking and, and to push these guys to, to really, guys and girls, to really give us you know, unique perspectives and and to have a whole lot of fun through all of that. I I think too, I mean, this is, as you mentioned, been a crazy year. People want to watch sports TV and and smile. And sometimes that's hard to do right now with everything going on. But as much as we can do that, that will be our goal. Now, did you move from Birmingham, Alabama to Connecticut for this show? I did. And you know what? There was a New York in the middle of that too, because I was there for Get Up. So uh, we have moved like three or four times, I think, over oh, this past year. Oh, so oh. we are now in Connecticut just in time for a crazy hurricane um, to come and, and knock everybody's power out. And ha- how do you and your husband, Josh, feel about living in the Northeast? 
we've loved it so far. And, you know, Josh played for the Red Sox for a few seasons and we loved being in Boston and, and loved New England. And so uh, this has been a welcome change and it's really a lot of fun to be here so far. It, despite all of the craziness, it's a beautiful place. What, what did you, what, what have you enjoyed about it so far? I think uh, one of my favorite things is just like the difference in culture from the South. You know, I mean, it's a, a totally different vibe up here. I love the history of it. Uh, we went to, we drove to Essex to see the sea town and kind of to see the water. And Essex is cool because it's surrounded by uh, water on three sides and, and we love being by the water. So um, just seeing the history there and uh, the history of our country, so much of it's in this part of the country. So I've loved that. And then also the food is really good. I, we've had some good food so far. We're, we're trying to cook as much as we can on our own, but um, it's tempting to go, you know, get takeout and, and bring it back because we, we have haven't dined in anywhere yet, but um, those things are hard to do in this time <laughs> right now. So. And to get back to your husband a second, for those who don't realize, uh, he played infield for the Colorado Rockies for a few years, then played for the Boston Red Sox for a few years. So with his baseball career and your ballet genes, I would think that your daughter Reese is in great shape and is going to be an incredible performer with whatever she decides to do, correct? Well, well, thank you. It's funny because my husband always gives me a hard time for really not being that athletic. I, my, my ballet skills somehow don't translate to great coordination in life. So I have a lot of these clumsy moments, cannot catch to save my life. I mean, it, it's probably one of the reasons why I am so <laughs> fascinated by great athletes because I'm terrible at it. I, I don't understand how people can do some of these things. Unlike you, Shefty, running the 40 and doing all the things that you can do, the Lambo leap, I would be just on my butt if I try to do any of that stuff. So Reese, I'm hoping, has way more of her dad's athletic ability. And already, I kind of think she does. Like, she's a very, she's a cool crawler. Like, she's, and, and I say that because she's very aware of her, of her abilities with her body. So, you know, for wow. being a little 10-month-old baby, she's got it going on from the athletic standpoint already. Well, she's got the right genes. And by the way, just so you know, my family continually <laughs> makes fun of me for being clumsy. So what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Have you not seen the video on something NFL countdown of me walking out my driveway, falling down on my head on black ice? Or have you not seen the times <laughs> in my house never. where I've missed a step and gone tumbling to the ground like somersaults oh. in the air or all the times where I wipe? <laughs> I'm just telling you, there's nothing that brings my wife and two wipe kids out. any more happiness than me being the complete <laughs> clumsy person that I am. So, oh, I share something. so we, we may have the clumsiest television show on TV this year. <laughs> it really might. Eastern, right? Oh, I guarantee you there will be some clumsy things uh, between the two of us. So people should stay tuned for that. You never know what's coming your way. Well, I wish you a lot of luck with the new show. I really mean this when I say it. Um, there are a few people who are more impressive at our network. There are a few people who are more accomplished at the age of 31. There are very few people... Uh, who have won a Miss Florida contest. You know, we're not going to mention the fact that a Miss Florida loses on the bathing suit competition. It's, oh, that's okay, Laura. That's the okay. shame. Yeah, the shame. You, you, you've acquitted yourself quite well since then, and we'll continue to do so this season. And I look forward to working with you during the year, three days a week. I didn't realize the new show was at 4 o'clock until you just said that. I'm going to have to adjust my calendar now and get ready for that personally. 
Well, I can't wait. And four o'clock, you better be there. It, listen, if you want to get there earlier at the new time or at the old time that it was, that's fine. But, you know, no one will be there with you. We'll, we'll, be, we'll all be waiting for you at 4 p.m. Yeah, it would be the first time that I have shown up early or made a fool of myself on TV. So that, that's okay. It, it all Ditto. goes together. It, it all goes together. Laura, thank you very much for the time today. Welcome to Connecticut. Continued success this season with your career, with everything that you've done, you, you have mastered the 10,000 hour theory. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you so very much for this and for everything else. Can't wait to get to work. And so there is the great Laura Rutledge, as we said at the outset of our conversation with her. And I think you can see why she's going to be the right person to lead NFL Live into the future. And she's got great things ahead of her. All right, before we get to John Hansen, the fancy guru, and now this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Adam. On to our next guest. All right, joining us now, my friend, my colleague, a member of the Fantasy Sports Writers Association Hall of Fame, a guy that founded Fantasy Guru. He was the Fantasy Guru, the original Fantasy Guru, and now has founded a website called fantasypoints.com. That's fantasypoints.com. In addition to doing his Monday through Friday work on Sirius on the Fantasy Channel from 7 to 10 a.m. and his work on DirecTV Fantasy Zone. So you can see he's Mr. Fantasy, but the point of all this is that he's launched this new fancy website, fantasypoints.com. John Hansen. John, how are we doing? We are doing very well, Adam. It's great to talk with you. It's great to be on your podcast. Yes, I'm absolutely uh, excited and energized about the NFL and fantasy football. Obviously, it's been a really, really tough year. But, you know, I, I feel like um, not that I'm comparing myself in any way, shape or form. But you know how Tom Brady has got a little bit of a change of scenery. He's a little energized this year. Yeah, yeah. That is how I feel after 25 years in the business of uh, – you know, doing fantasyguru.com, website I sold, uh, formed a new company, got a bunch of young, really smart analytics bros, if you will, uh, as partners of the website, Greg Cosell and Adam Kaplan. So we got it all covered here and uh, fired up, ready to go, ready to talk football. Before we get into fancy football and how that works in a pandemic and some sleepers and tips for the year, players you love, I love how does that work, selling a fancy website that you developed, Fancy Guru, and starting a new one? How'd that work out for you? Well, yeah, it's a little weird. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, I just had a company, a, a group approach me 
back in 2014 and, you know, they were interested in, you know, acquiring my, my company and uh, through negotiations and talks, they, you know, they gave an offer that I was like, wow, okay. Um, so I did that and didn't even. So, so, so they buy Fancy Guru, you stay a part of it, right? Yes. Yeah. And so does Fancy Guru still exist? I know you're like, is that still yeah. out there owned by this competitor or, or these yeah. people that bought you? It is. It is. So yeah, I work for the company and, and really nothing changed for a number of years. Didn't even really announce it. Um, right. didn't really, I mean, figure what, why announce it? I'm still doing the work and all that. And then, um, you know, I decided to kind of part ways and then that was four years ago. I had a non-compete for five years and that, that was up. And I had a lot of young guys that I work with, um, Graham Barfield who actually left to work over at NFL.com, Joe Dolan who worked with me, uh, Scott mm -hmm. Barrett, uh, who worked for pro football focus, uh, you know, young rising stars as well. They, they were like, man, we really want to work with you again. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. Let's, let's go bonkers with it and uh, knock it out of the park. And uh, so far, so good. So yeah, the, the website Fantasy Guru still exists. I am no longer affiliated with it. Wish them all the best of luck. But again, I'm like Brady, Adam. I am energized, you know, 25 years doing the exact same thing. You know, it's, you know, it's a little uh, monotonous, I guess, and maybe not as exciting as a, a new venture would, would be. And uh, that's where I'm at. And I'm feeling great. So will fancypoints.com work the way the fancy guru did with, you know, your top 100 and guys that are rising and falling and guys that are highlighted and all those things all like that. that? Even yeah. better than ever. And that's a, that's a great point because, you know, I was going to kind of retire from, you know, producing content on a website and just kind of do the media work, the radio show on Sirius XM and all that. But what I found was number one, I'm able to do the media with no preparation because my entire life is preparing preparation. Yeah. for preparation. So, um, you know, I was able to, you know, maximize, you know, time and things like that and have multiple jobs. But also over 25 years, I'd learned so many lessons and I have so much of a, I guess, a base of knowledge that I thought, wow, this is kind of a waste if I don't, you know, try this again. Actually, you know, our guy, Jim Cramer, planted the seed five years ago when I was talking with him about, you know, selling the website, he said, well, you should, you know, do your non-compete and then just do it all over again. So I have all these lessons learned. And uh, I think it's really come to fruition in terms of the website that everything we've done, got a lot of tools, a lot of data, a lot of great articles. It's very easy to navigate. So yeah, that, that's, that is where I'm at. We are, we are feeling strong. So when you sold Fancy Guru, you had the idea that five years later, you would be resurfacing sort of like a player coming out of retirement in a way? little bit you know what i would equate it to too like like doctors sell their practices yeah, yeah all the time i have a, I have a doctor friend who did that right right it, dr mark addicts did that as well our, our mutual friend there and um you know sometimes they stay on a non-compete because they're the name for a number of years but once that's up they're like okay now what do i do well let's just kind of start it all over again so uh not that i'm anything remotely close to a doctor but uh yeah, you know, doctors do doctors do that Agents do that. People yeah. in biz the business world do that. These are business lessons that are beyond my understanding. But now you've done that as a as a fantasy guru. But yeah. now just with fancypoints.com. Right. And you know, the whole guru thing, I looked into trademarking it literally like 25 years ago. And the, the attorney said, Yeah, we can do it, but we gotta like change up the spelling. Like, what do you think of uh fantasy G-O-O-R-O-O? -O -O? And I, I believe I may have hung up on that person. And I never did uh, 
you know, trademarked or anything. It's a little bit too generic of a word. So I said to myself, okay, well, I'm going to try to dominate and, and own this name. So it's so prevalent that no one else really rolls with it, which is kind of true. I mean, you hear the word guru all the time, but I don't think there's anybody out there who's, who's actually has the audacity, uh, you know, apparently as I do, to go as, as the guru. But, you know, that nickname was just given to me by a, a league mate way back in like 1989. Uh, I used the 10th pick of my local hometown draft on Barry Sanders. And, and at the time, you didn't draft the rookies until the fourth or fifth round. People are like, what are you doing? And, well, the rest is history. <laughs> That worked out pretty well, that Barry Sanders pick and your fantasy career as well. So what is it like doing fantasy sports in a pandemic? Do you think that changes the way fantasy is viewed this season, the way it will be played this season? What is the impact on your industry, which is really my industry too, so I say our industry, but it's really yeah. primarily yours. Absolutely. In terms of um, things like setting up your league, I think the NFL, the, the operative word is flexibility. Right. I mean, they're, you know, open to being as flexible as needed to get it done. So in terms of like setting up your leagues and things like that, you want to, you know, kind of maybe expand out the rosters. Heck, maybe every fantasy league can have its own practice squad that don't count against your rosters just to stash some players. You want to have maybe more IR spots so you can uh, have that flexibility. Uh, but more importantly, I think in terms of the approach, when you look at the landscape obviously it's going to be a brutal year for first year players it's going to be really tough for new head coaches new offensive coordinators and certainly um, I'm well aware of that that's a big part of it I will say with that angle though that that narrative has been pushed so hard that we might actually get a buying opportunity on some choice players which I I do have three wide receivers for example rookies so I, I'm still buying but Big picture, man, you're really looking at the teams with the continuity. The New Orleans Saints, for example, obviously the Kansas City Chiefs. Conversely, again, you know, I'm very skeptical on the Carolina Panthers this year with a new starting quarterback, a shaky offensive line, a new system, a new head coach and all that. It's going to be really tough, as you know all too well, for – you know, quarterbacks and receivers working for the first time together and in a new system to really quickly get on the same page. Adam, what are we going to have? Two to three weeks of padded practices and then it's go time? Yeah, it's going to be a little bit like college football. And I like the idea that you mentioned of there being flexibility in how we structure the rosters and fancy. And I think you're right. This is going to be crazy to suggest and Maybe people have suggested it. Maybe leagues are doing it, but I'd like to see the ESPN Fantasy Football League add a COVID spot to yeah. move a player to COVID. If he tests positive or he's out that week, you could move that guy to COVID, pick up somebody else, play, and then move the guy back. It's like an IR spot just called COVID. No doubt. No doubt. And, of course, running back handcuffs are more important this year. There are some choice players that – you know, if you use the seventh pick on Joe Mixon, it would absolutely positively behoove you to, you know, protect that a little bit with uh, Giovanni Bernard. So I'm a little bit more into running back handcuffs this year for, for obvious reasons. You know, another thought to throw out there, and I don't know how doable it is with the league management softwares, but, you know, it would be really a buzzkill if, you know, our second round pick you know, had problems with the virus. So maybe you could put a rule into play, say, all right, if you're one of your first three players, one of your first five players 
kind of, you know, goes on the COVID-19 list, you get, you know, 90% of his per game average for the mm. season, something that, like that. That's a little much for me, John. That's a little yeah, much I know, for me. I know. I'm, I'm being uh, too charitable, I think. Yeah, no, I, listen, I, 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 I do like the COVID slot on the fancy yeah. team list. I like that. I like an IR spot. We added that in our ESPN league last year. I think that was very beneficial. I think there should be a COVID spot added this year. Um, and if the guy's got the COVID designation and you move him over and you pick up a spot, it works just like IR as we're talking about sure. it. And, and we'll sure. see that. Now you mentioned during the course of your comments here that there were three rookie wide receivers you're buying. And, and at a time where you're not likely to buy rookies, don't want to buy rookies. Although I still think you might have some interest in buying rookie running backs. Who are oh, those sure. three rookie wide receivers you're buying? Yeah. And, uh, I'm I'm guessing we're probably on the same page. You and I are always. Right, well, I, I'm going to tell you one of them right now. I, I know right. you're going to tell me. You're going to tell me Henry Ruggs. Yes, sir. You're going to tell me Brandon Ayuk. No. Wow. No. 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 I'm okay. Not sure, go ahead. Sure. Um, Jalen Rager, simply because they absolutely positively need him, and I think that they'll use him similar to, to Henry Ruggs and, you know, manufacture touches. I like guys who can, you can manufacture touches for like a Ruggs or a Rager, much like a, a Debo Samuel last yep. year, you know, didn't catch a ton of balls, but they, they found a way did, did Kyle Shanahan, of course, uh, to get him the ball. And he was impactful. Um, Ayuk is absolutely fascinating. No doubt about it. Just don't know about, you know, where is Debo and, you know, they do run the ball quite a bit. The other, the third and the last is a kid I interviewed at the Combine. Unbelievable kid. He came on the radio show after that. Um, so I got a little relationship with him and uh, players. Uh, son, Michael Pittman Jr. Oh, I yeah. think he's plug oh, and play yeah. oh, X yeah. receiver for Phil Rivers and the Colts. You know, what's funny about him. I it look, I don't study these college football guys a lot of times. Certainly not the way that, Todd McShay or Mel Kuyper Jr. would, but I read up on them and talk to enough people about them. And that was a guy who, when I heard about him and read about him, I said, that's a guy that I would like on my team. And when Chris Ballard and the Indianapolis Colts draft him, that further validates what I felt about the guy. Cause I think they know talent awfully well. Yeah. And there's a spot for him there. There's a 100%. spot for him there, right? hundred percent. He can. He has no weaknesses. Like maybe the play speed isn't amazing, but he's very big, physical. Hands are good. Competitive. You know, he even blocked a punt. You know, in college. So you, you, whatever you ask this kid to do, he can do. I really like the fact that he played four years at USC. He got better and better every se season. His freshman year, he only caught six balls. Then he goes to 23. Then he goes to 41. Senior year last year, 101. 11 touchdowns. So red zone threat as well. I have some concerns about T.Y. Hilton, uh, over 30 now, and some availability issues here. And, again, um, Pittman is kind of a plug-and-play guy here. I'm not expecting the world, but I think he'll catch over 60 balls. Interesting. Okay, so give me this year – some guys that you feel really good about. And I guess there's a few different ways we could do this, right? Like I, I, you and I love to identify the sleepers. Like last year, we both loved Mark Andrews. And I remember listening to you on Sirius one day when you were going to give your list of five guys that were sleepers. And you and I had three of the same five sleepers last yeah. year. So 
Um, we'll get to the sleepers because I always think that that's what people want. They always want the sneaky value pick. But who are some guys this year that you just feel really good about, like coming in a pandemic, you, you know they're going to be great, and these are guys that you're trying to draft wherever you have a league. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think my, my, I, I do an article that I, I've done for 20 years called the draft plan where I kind of just map it all out. These are the players I'm targeting and when, and then I, I go through and I do – basically a mock draft against ADP average draft position. And I come up with the, uh, you know, with six teams that I like all players that I like at certain spots, the player I drafted the most was Marquise Hollywood Brown. And and the most. Yes. Because at his, at his cost, I'm 100% all in. And I understand that he's not going to catch a hundred balls or anything like that, but very talented kid and much healthier this year compared to last, you know, among 75's qualifying wideouts last year, he ranked first in passer rating when targeted as a rookie dealing with his foot issue and 11th in fantasy points per route run. So now they want to expand things out. They want to throw a lot more downfield balls out outs and things like that, deep outs and things like that. He's bulked up, as you know, Adam, he's put on about 20 pounds. I couldn't believe how small of a human being he was, when I was around him at the combine. So I kind of like the fact that he's been bulked up here and, and hasn't really lost a lot of speed. I think the other player that I am just all in on, and it's, it's pretty obvious, but it's not that obvious. And we talked about the rookies. I, I'm okay with the rookie running backs. I just can't get past Jonathan Taylor running behind that offensive line in Indianapolis. And he is going to be the third round pick in, you know, competitive leagues, maybe a fourth rounder in a, in a 10 team league, but there will be leagues out there where there's skepticism. You know, everyone says, Oh, Marlon Mack is still there. Naheem Hines, you know, those are potential roadblocks, but man, Adam, this kid, Jonathan Taylor um, also uh, resides from South Jersey as I do as well. There's, there's a rule. If you're a good running back in South Jersey, you must go to Wisconsin. Like Ron Dane, Corey Clement, and, and Jonathan Taylor. But, you know, very accomplished player. Untapped potential in the passing game. You know what they want to do in Indy and run the rock. And I don't think, Adam, and you can chime in, you do not move up in round number two yeah, to take yeah. a running back in 2020 and then put him in a committee. So I think Taylor, I just think around week three or four, people who pass on Taylor are going to be watching the Colts, and he's going to be fed the rock behind that great old line with Phil and he's going to start dominating, and they're, they're going to be like, oh, boy, I should have taken Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's – so you, in a perfect world, would take Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. You'd have the Colts offense there, locked up there, John. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, Pittman Jr. isn't going to cost you more than a 13th, 14th round uh, pick. He's a depth guy. Taylor would be, obviously, um, a great RB3 if you really load up on running backs, which, by the way, I think you want to do this year. But I will roll with him as a, a RB2. Let's say I open a draft with a running back. Then I get a, a high-end wide receiver I love, like a Chris Godwin, comes back in round three, and I'm looking at James Conner, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, or Jonathan Taylor. Oh, ho I am taking the young man, and I will sleep like a baby. In round three? Yeah, yeah. Round three, that's awfully high for Jonathan Taylor, I would think, although not if he is what you're telling me you think he's going to be. He's great. I mean, he's got a little Zeke Elliott in him. He's got size, running instincts, you know, all day long, long speed, obviously. 
And again, untapped potential in the passing game. He does have a fumbling problem. Yes, he does. But, you know, Miles Sanders had a fumbling problem at Penn State, and they corrected it. That's what coaching, good coaching does. So, yeah, absolutely. It's well, play to win, baby. You know? Well, uh, you mentioned Marquise Brown. Just curious. You talked about the value there. What rounds generally are Marquise Brown going in? Where, where is he going? Sixth draft? round. Sixth, Sixth round. round. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so I'm, you, I'm, yeah. I'm very high on the Ram offense, by the way. I love Bobby Trees, a.k.a. Robert Woods. Well, he, he's money in the bank. He is just money in the bank every year. He's been so good out there. And where are those Brandon Cooks targets going to? Because it was three high-profile wide receivers in that offense, and now it's two high-profile wide receivers in that offense, not to mention uh, the passes that Todd Gurley might have caught. So where are those targets going? And we've got two guys left over. That's why you say Robert Woods. I say I love Cooper Cup. Love Cooper Cup, right? Yeah. Like if love you both. get either one of those guys, you'd be yeah. really happy, correct? Yeah, yeah, sure. I actually think – Woods is a little more stable, believe it or not, um, because, and again, I've always loved, uh, I call him the football nerd, uh, Cooper Cup, because yeah. I feel like that kid it doesn't know anything about like pop culture. He's not on TikTok. He's watching film. This guy, and I, I mean that as a complimentary thing, but I will say this last year, from week 13 on, when the Rams played at a 12 personnel at a much higher rate, Cup snap share dipped from 88% to 64%, and he averaged 3.5 fewer targets per game. Now, we don't know exactly how much 12 personnel or 11 personnel they'll show, but, boy, Tyler Higby was amazing in a 12 personnel environment. Yeah. So if they do roll with that a little bit more, that, that could hurt Cup. But, again, I think Woods is good to go. He's like static out there at Z. He's, never, he's not going anywhere. I'll tell you one thing. There were a lot of teams that were interested in trading for Gerald Everett this offseason. Yes. Well, they, they could still do it, Adam. You no, know? no. Well, they could. Look, and maybe the Rams will deal him, but I can tell you this. Uh, the teams that called, and there were, there were a few, yeah. were continually told that they're not trading Gerald Everett because they wanted to use him in that offense sure. again. And yeah. so that made me think that, some of those Brandon Cooks targets, some of those three wide receiver sets now become two tight end sets. And some of those targets that went to Cooks go to Higby and Everett instead. Yeah. I think they want to be more multiple and matchup based. In other words, as, as opposed to I'm running my system, 11 personnel, this is it. Maybe go a little bit more matchup opponent specific you know, perhaps Sean McVay learned a little bit, you know, losing to Bill Belichick and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Granted, we didn't see much of it last year until they had to, but I think that's what they want. They're going to be a little bit more, uh, you know, matchup opponent specific with their personnel packages. Oh, let's go. Let's go with some values, some sleepers. Let's each give a few here. How about that? Does sure. that work for you? And sure. Let, let me throw it out and say, where do you want to start uh, on go quarterback? Go ahead. Let's go position by position or some yeah. value plays. How about that? Yeah, absolutely. You want to go first? Yeah, you go first. Oh, okay. No, I think, um, look, um, I don't want to pay up for Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. I, uh, it's very costly. You know, they, they were, um, you know, Lamar was obviously, you know, the greatest pick of all time last year, but that was in the ninth round. And Patrick Mahomes, the, you know, two years ago. Uh, the, the earliest player I want to take, and I'm not, I'm not actively targeting, but I will take Dak Prescott in like round six. I, I, I like that. I like that this year. Yeah. I mean, who, I mean, how can we not? I have him with uh, 
second with 36 touchdowns total. Otherwise, I'm not exactly loving Kyler Murray, even though I had him in my top 12 last year. Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, these guys run. The guy, I think, right now who stands out as the best uh, value, Ready? Josh Allen. Oh, I, you know, so I was going to say Daniel Jones. Oh, I love Daniel Jones. He's, he's on my list. My guys are Allen, Wentz, Daniel Jones. I'm, I'm, I like Matt Ryan as well. And I am fully expecting the Browns to be good, Adam. So I like Baker. I know he doesn't have great upside, but if things go relatively well, I think 30 touchdowns are, are very attainable, very attainable. I, I agree with you on many of those quarterbacks. And I think I also would include Sam Darnold in there. I think Sam Darnold's going to be good this year. I've always loved Sam Darnold. I'm a little worried about their, their receiving core. I will say I do like Chris Herndon quite a bit and um and also Brashad Perriman I like he's not getting any love Brashad Perriman he's and he going should. he should he should he's good he's good yeah you know he's a former number one pick he's put it all together the hands are much better you know as someone who was on a plane playing in my number one league against him week 16 on a Saturday <laughs> I had nowhere to go I studied this man <laughs> and he was good in that in that game against Houston he was good down the stretch all right John so that wraps up some sleepers and values at the quarterback position i want to get some sleepers and values next at the wide receiver position who we like there well in addition to hollywood brown i have a poor man's version of hollywood brown that would be deontay johnson the Hmm. second year receiver boy our guy greg cosell broke down his film and and did a a review of last year and he was really taken back at, at how he gained separation fairly easily against NFL DBs. The guy gets open. Uh, he looks a little transformed physically this year as well. And Big Ben, so far, so good there. So I do like him as a seventh-round, real real nice sleeper type of player. But to back up a moment, uh, the, the main guy, I love Adam Thielen this year. Adam, look, he's going to get probably 150 targets. They may throw just a little bit more. He's got to stay healthy. But we remember what he did two years ago. How impressive was that? Eight straight games to open the season and really his career working with Kirk Cousins going over 100 yards and obviously no Stephon Diggs. Love Calvin Ridley. I had Roddy White on my radio show and he's all about recently and he's all about that that magical, used to be magical, the third year breakout. I, I think we're looking at that with Calvin Ridley this year. I love Robert Woods as we yeah. kind of alluded to earlier. I like um, these second tier guys actually because I'm all about running backs early in drafts. So I like the second tier guys like Thielen and uh, how about a little DJ Chark? You know, he's the number one guy. He's the un- undisputed, right? Mm-hmm. Good player. Very good player. They've always liked him there Yeah, in Jacksonville. I'm all in on uh, DK Metcalf as well as uh, an upside type of guy. I'm actually uh, feeling uh, Will Fuller a little bit this year. I never have before. But all the motivation in the world, obviously, no D-hop. He does click with the quarterback. I like Darius Slayton. We've mentioned Brashad Perriman. And uh, we did mention those three rookies. I like Ruggs, Rager, and Michael Pittman. I'm not against Brandon Ayuk. I'm just not there yet in terms of feeling good about his ability to rise above the challenges that we all, you know, we're looking at at wide receiver here. Uh, we can go deeper and, and, and all that. But uh, those are some great names right there, Adam. Here, here, here's some wide receiver names I would like you to look at. Keep, in, keep on your radar, John. Ready? Okay, I'm ready. And a little more obvious, but again, I think probably not getting the hype that he should. Emmanuel Sanders. 
Sure, sure. It feels a lot like last year when they signed Jared Cook. You're like, wow, that, that makes a ton of sense. And they've been looking for that number two receiver for quite some time. It's not Traquan Smith. You know, they don't really devote a lot of resources, as you know, to this receiving core. I feel like they're smart because they have a Hall of Fame quarterback, and Mickey Loomis is like, let's, let's address the defense, the offensive line, and we'll kind of take it from there. But they've been without that number two. So, sure, he's, he can line up anywhere, too, as you know. And apparently he's caught everything thrown to him so far during camp. I know it's just no pads, not real, but he's looked great from what, yeah. I'm, what I was told. Heck of a player. You're two, two other guys, uh, similar model. Scotty Miller in Tampa. He's bulked up. Uh, like him as a, I mean, a late, 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 late pick, right? And a well, slot I'm guy that's down. I'm and, writing this down. Okay. And a PPR guy that Tom Brady may like. And Hunter Renfro with the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, I certainly love uh, Hunter Renfro. I think the problem that I have with those two situations, I think both of those teams are going to play a lot of 11 personnel. So mm-hmm. that, that could limit opportunities for the slot receivers. But, yeah, I, I met and interviewed Hunter Renfro at the Combine, one of my, one of my favorite guys ever like uh he just kind of embraces who he is and uh everyone loves him i mean we all saw hard knocks last year and by the way he's a pretty good football player pretty reliable and he did a nice job late in the season yep okay let's do the running backs sleepers values what what are your thoughts there and break it down the same way you broke down the wide receivers i kind of like it that way sure sure i always feel like you can get a little bit of a buying opportunity with the rookies. So, you know, I've all been all in on Clyde Edwards Alaire, but oh, yeah. obviously, you know, he kind of jumped the shark already. I'm seeing him being drafted ahead of like Alvin Kamara, which is absolutely out of control. Is but it? Is it? I think it's a bit much. I do. I do. And as much as I love Edwards Alaire, I, I know it's a beautiful situation. But you know, Andy has always been a little hesitant of using young running backs mm-hmm. like right away. So I mean Obviously, we know what happened with Damian Williams. Uh, actually, I think Washington might be the guy to look at there as the handcuff to Edwards Lair. But as I mentioned previously. Darwin Thompson, I think, would be an interesting handcuff if anything were to happen to Edwards Lair. And, and the funny part about Darwin Thompson is I remember last year speaking to people in Kansas City and, and them saying he, he looks great in practice, ready to break. And then he just didn't break out. Like, I don't know what happened. But they liked him last year, and I think they'll yeah. like him again this year. We'll see. Yeah. He did good in the pa- did well in the passing attack. I saw that. Noticed that in the preseason. Maybe maybe that's a maybe that's part of it. I think pass pro was an issue there, and uh, maybe Andy was a little hesitant to use the rookie. Right. Actually, you know what? I actually kind of like DeAndre Washington because I love that kid coming out of Texas hmm. Tech. Um, so he's a veteran. So that would be uh, a name to keep an eye on. But okay. um, I'm all in on Jonathan Taylor. Uh, yeah. it, it just feels right to me. I cannot get past the, the vision of him running behind that line, and we talked about that earlier. By the way, I've, I kind of do like Melvin Gordon out in your old stomping grounds in Denver, yeah. you know, Mike, Mike Munchak. They brought him in. Um, I, I talked with uh, our mutual friend Mark Schlereth about that, and he said, look, they, they love Philip Lindsay, but you know, he's not a workhorse. He's not a bell cow, and they do have some issues there in pass pro. Um, back to the rookies, too. I do like Cam Akers. For the Rams. Oh, that's it. It's interesting. That's interesting. I mean, I just I, – I have not – I'm listen, they, they, would they pick him in the third round, right? Yeah, yeah. So they have to like him. I mean, they have to like the guy because, again, you see any running back go around two or three, you know that he's going to be really good. Like J.K. Dobbins in Baltimore, yeah. that guy was a guy that teams had in the first round, and somehow he slipped to round two. And – um. 
I, I just think he is somebody to watch. And, and, and you bring up Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And you know what's interesting about that is I remember talking to a couple of different head coaches, not Andy Reid, before the draft, yeah. who were very smart. And they're like, this Clyde Edwards-Hilaire guy, we love this guy. We love this guy. We're going to try to take him. Yeah, no doubt. And, and sure enough, there he goes to Andy. Well, who, it's a passing league, and he's a great receiver, best receiving back in the class. Yeah, and again, I mean, Andy said it himself. He thinks he's going to be better than Brian Westbrook, which right. that, that, that tells me something. And by the way, again, early on, part of camp, we're not going to see him in preseason games, but in talking to Chiefs officials, they say he looks – all that and more on the football yeah, I'm field sure. so far. I'm sure. By so the way, Cam, Cam Akers was a second-round pick. Oh, excuse, even, even even more better. impressive, yeah. Cam Akers. Yeah, yeah really. again, a running back in round two, you know they like him, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I also love Kareem Hunt. They'll play a lot of 12 personnel. They don't have a lot of depth of receiver. They'll use him as a receiver. You know, last year down the stretch in PPR, the final eight games, he outproduced Nick Chubb six of the eight games. Now, it's a new staff and all that, but I really like him. Here's a bounce-back guy. I've been all in on this guy from day one. The Bear offense last year, they lost their mojo, <laughs> Nagy. They just yeah. lost that magic. They got to get Tariq Cohen more involved. So I love Tariq Cohen. Well, it's, fu it's funny you say Tariq Cohen because last year, a guy that I got all in on and got all in on him after I spoke to a bunch of the Bears yeah. was David Montgomery. Yeah. And they told me, you want this guy. He's special. He's incredible. And I went out, which I wouldn't ordinarily do, and I, I drafted a rookie running back in round two on the basis of what I was told about him. Yeah. And I can I tell you this, in, in many fancy – uh, drafts or years uh, i'm usually uh sometimes one year ahead of the curve like oh, i'm so on a guy one year and and I, i'm so spooked by david montgomery last year it'll be hard for me to take him this year i probably won't but yeah. watch he'll be yeah. better this year watch. he will be better no doubt about it i think the offense overall will be better i think he was a little bit of a victim of circumstances they lost their way a little bit he's a volume back they were not really a volume running team the o-line underperformed greatly um, so, you know, I'm not all in on him in round four, but I am all in on Tariq Cohen, get him a few more carries, get him more involved. You know, he was top five in targets and catches last wow. year. I did want to mention real quick, if we have a moment on J.K. Dobbins, because I do – I'm on record. Mm -hmm. If Mark Ingram is gone in 2021, they have an out in his deal, J.K. Dobbins will be a number one fantasy football draft pick next summer. Okay? Well, yep. That said, I – don't like seeing him go in the sixth, seventh round because I'm just not convinced that he's going to carve out a large role. Mark Ingram's still very, very good. Mm -hmm. Gus Edwards has been over five yards a carry. They do have Justice Hill. I mean, maybe it happens, but I feel like he's a little overvalued right now. That's interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of other running backs off the top of my head who I really like this year, like guys that just – I'll give you one. Uh, I think – and it's, it's going to be stating the obvious. I know everyone's going to be taking – Christian McCaffrey, number one overall? Uh-huh. I know where you're going. I think I'm going to take one one. You know what? I've said the exact same thing because last summer on the SiriusXM show, I said, look, everyone, this – we're likely – McCaffrey's 23 years old. He's got two years under his belt. He's proven a lot. He's still only 23. This is probably going to be the best career year that we ever see out of McCaffrey, and it happened. And guess what? Saquon is the exact same situation this year. And he gets Jason Garrett, who we know loves to run the football. Yep. They've got yep. some very good run-blocking linemen. I, 
I just think, look, well, at this time you. last year, everyone was taking Saquon one, right? Yeah, yeah. No, totally right. No, I, I'm with you. The only problem with, with all this is I actually do projections. And when I, when I created the projections, I, did, I had to give McCaffrey 100-plus catches, and that's yeah. really hard to compete with when you're talking PPR. Yeah. But I hear you. I hear Listen, you. I love Christian, love Christian McCaffrey. If I had picked two, he'd be my pick. Just yeah. got a feeling in the right setup, Barkley coming off the injury, a lot to prove. It's almost like the theory of a couple of years ago uh, or last year. Was it last year or two years ago? I don't remember. They all blend together. I was all over Zeke Elliott when people weren't on him. Here's the bottom line. There was one year where everyone was all over Zeke after his rookie year. I wasn't as into him. The next year, people were down on him. That's when I was back into him. Right, whatever it was right. whatever you my, that was. my thing adam at running back is you know a lot of people are worried about them they do take a lot of hits and their you know injuries are a problem and all that um i want to get running backs early in drafts only running backs whose best football is still in front mm -hmm. of them or clearly not behind them so real quick Gurley, fournette David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, all going in the first four to five rounds. Not your guys. I'm out on yeah. all four. I'm with you. I like upswing on guys. Like, I like Justin Jackson with the Chargers this year. Another guy I think is going to be interesting. How about that one? He will be interesting. I, the only issue there is they did draft Joshua Kelly, and I do think mm, well, the head coach, I do think he likes him, and I do think uh, Anthony Lynn, I think he might project a little bit better opposite Eckler because he's like a downhill thumper type but you know we're a little blind this year obviously without you know real hitting a lot of hitting and of course the games in the preseason yeah well and you know that's the interesting part of this also before we get into the tight ends and finish up usually what will happen is there'll be a few guys that I like going into the preseason and they show up and all of a sudden yeah. they flash and I'm like oh no they there it goes like Kareem Hunt I like that guy right away oh, as a rookie absolutely. and then what happens he lights it up and then Spencer Ware gets hurt. There was another injury. Yep. And everyone knew, and Kareem Hunt all of a sudden is a late one, yep. certainly a two. And my secret running back that I would be taking in around four or five safely is spoiled. Right? You are going to clean up this year, Adam, in your fantasy leagues and your drafts because you're the best information man on the planet. And it's all about getting that information this year because, again, as you said, the cat's not going to be let out of the bag in so many cases watching guys ball out in the preseason. Well, I appreciate the kind words. I thank you for that. And again, just speaking to teams, it's hard to get a grasp of things because no one's in pads yet. Yeah, so th yeah. they can't really tell. But like I was on the phone this morning with someone from New Orleans and they said, well, Emmanuel Sanders caught everything. You know, uh, Michael Thomas gained 10 pounds of muscle. Ooh, looks scary. really strong. Uh, you know, little things like that that you pick up. So, sure. I mean, they see, they see certain things. We're just not seeing it in a game action. And you're not seeing... Jonathan Taylor in a preseason game. And you're not seeing Brandon Ayuk in a preseason game. You're not seeing Michael Pittman Jr. So that's some speculation there. And I remember in 2011 where yeah. there was no offseason program and there was a preseason, but not very long. And people didn't play people the way they would ordinarily play them. And do you remember the first game of the year Cam Newton comes out as the number one overall pick and lights up the Arizona Cardinals? And you're like, whoa. Yep. And whoa. A.J. Green and Julio Jones really had no problems as rookie receivers that year as well. Yeah, so there are going to be some guys that just, I mean, explode onto the scene. And you're going to be like, whoa, John Hansen knew what he was talking about with Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. This is what I'm obsessed with every year, especially in August. I just want to get the answers to the test. I don't care how I get it, 
whether it's information analysis, insider tips. Um, we'll, I'm, I just all, I take it all in and, and filter it through and uh, hopefully come out with uh, good calls. Our last position for sleepers and values would be tight end. And last year, if I could toot your horn and toot my horn, we both were on and all over Mark Andrews. All over. Yes, we and were. Mark Andrews turned out to be about as good a tight end as there is in the league, just about. Yep. Yep. Who are we putting in that area this year at the tight end slot? Who do we like? Well, I have five young breakout candidates. There is more than, than ever this year, by the way. There's so many young. There's like 15 guys you can make the case for but I, I tried to whittle it down to five actually five and a half or six um so i'll start with hayden hurst i know the career hasn't been great but i actually think he's more athletic and talented overall than austin hooper great guy um, rooting for him already clicking with uh matt ryan i also am in on noah fan i think they'll play a lot of 12 personnel in denver and I think, you know, Judy and K.J. Hamler, the rookie out of Penn State, the slot receiver, um, you know, rookies. I think Fant will be really active. And uh, obviously, he's very athletic. Um, still still love T.J. Hawkinson. Uh, he's one of my guys like as well. Too. I like him um, And I also like – I'm still in on Tyler Higby. I, I don't expect that ballistic run to yeah. continue. Um, but I also, on the, on the low end, two other names. Uh, I like Chris Herndon. You mentioned yeah. Sam Darnold earlier. They came in together. I've asked Adam Gase about him a couple of years ago, and he said, oh, no, I really love him. There's, a, there's, a, there's a quote out there like where he called him a unicorn. Um, I, I answered that question. I'm like, oh, wow, unicorn. I, I guess that's good. Um, and then also, how about Jay Sternberger in Green Bay? They need him big time. That was going to be one of the guys I was going to suggest oh, to you, Jay Sternberger. Guy. That's my guy all year. All year, that's my guy. Last year, too. I love him. I uh, met him at the Combine and interviewed him, and you know he plays fantasy, and I said, man – you know, the tight end hasn't been – the position hasn't been great. We need your help. And he, he promised me, Adam, that he would help increase the quality depth at tight end. So we got that going for us. John, you met everybody at the combine, it seems like. Well, that's what I like to do. I go then, I interview probably 40, 50 players, and uh, I get a lot of good intel just by how they carry themselves and, and their body language and all that, you know. Oh, no, you, you can feel somebody. You get a sense right away this guy's got the ingredients that are needed for success. You can feel it right away. I right. really can. I could tell you this. Do you know what player stood out to me as the most eager player to get into the NFL and show what he could do? Josh Allen. And I think that's played out on the field the last two hmm. years. Interesting. Well, I'll give you one other tight end to watch. Just a, sure. a, a late sleeper. You're not going to use an early pick on him. Dan Arnold. I know they love him. He's a six-five, big. He's like a big wide receiver out there. You know, and when he was in New Orleans before they cut him and Arizona claimed him on waivers, I was like, wow, because he was somebody always that I thought was very interesting. And I always watched and he always made plays and he went out to Arizona and he made more plays out there. Yeah, he jumps so off now, the screen a little bit. Yeah, and so with Hopkins and Fitz and, and Christian Kirk out there and these guys drawing a lot of coverage and attention, Dan Arnold is going to be overlooked but not overlooked in – a deeper fantasy football league, John. Not yeah. overlooked there. Yeah. A lot of young tight ends. Uh, John U. Smith is another one, Adam. I loved that guy last year, and I expected him to do more. And maybe, again, that's me being one year ahead I on certain so. guys. Yep. Because that guy also stepped up. Mike Isicki in Miami stepped up. You know what that tells me? You, you, you might be better served sitting back and passing on those great young tight ends like Kelsey and Ertz and Kittle early and waiting for these other guys. 100% Adam I mean we both had Mark Andrews as the breakout tight end 
last year. I took him in my number one league at 138 overall. I think that was a better value than taking Travis Kelsey at like 15 overall. No offense to Kelsey. We love him. Love Kelsey. He's unbelievable. Phenomenal player to watch. Well, John, I want to thank you very much. You want to give your fancy website a little plug here and a promo for fancypoints.com? I really appreciate that. Yeah, fantasypoints.com. Uh, we've got an all-star staff here. Myself, Adam Kaplan, Greg Cosell, Scott Barrett, formerly of PFF, Graham Barfield, uh, formerly of the NFL Network and NFL.com, uh, Joe Dolan, Tom Brawley, and more. And uh, I did throw out a little promo code for anyone who inter- interested in uh, you know checking out the website and subscribing. Adam20 will get 20% off. That's, that's a big-time percentage off. I don't even do that, mm-hmm. but Adam20 in honor of Mr. Adam Schefter. Well, thank you, John Hansen, for joining us today, for giving us some insight in the coming season. I appreciate making the time. I appreciate you sharing your insight. It's a pleasure to speak to you, and I know that we will be communicating, conversing, and texting yet again. You're the best. I had a blast doing this anytime. And so there is fantasy expert John Hansen. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Also want to point out a couple of other things. Happy 25-year anniversary to ESPN reporter and colleague and friend, Sal Palantonio. Think about that. 25 years of holding up newspapers, of saying, let's get straight to the news, of saying, I got a text this morning from the Eagles head coach, Doug Peterson. And here's the great part about Sal Palantonio and the run he has had for one employer. Basically, one of his producers, Brian Franey, great guy, sent out a text to a bunch of people at our company and Sal's friends and asked for a Sal video tribute. And so I did one a few weeks ago, as did many other people. And Brian Franey actually put together a 40-minute video that he presented to Sal Pal over the weekend, summarizing the great run he's had at ESPN. Got to watch the video on Sunday morning. And anytime anybody does anything that thoughtful for you, that looks back over the space of time and all you've accomplished, I don't know that there's any finer gift or present in life than what Brian Franey did for the great Sal Palantonio. So happy 25-year anniversary to Sal Palantonio, a happy moment. And a personal sad moment, my agent Nick Khan called me last week and told me that he was leaving the agent business to become president and chief revenue officer for the WWE. And it is a devastating blow to lose your agent, who's also your friend. And I'm very happy for him because it's an enormous promotion and responsibility for Nick Khan. But he was so good at what he did. And people say, well, what makes a great agent? Well, the one thing I can tell you about Nick Khan is that he was always ahead of the game. He saw things coming before they actually happened. He had relationships with people that few other people did. He was unbelievable at what he did. The best agent I ever had, not even close. And I've had quite a few of them. And Nick Khan's going to be a huge success as the president of the WWE as Vince McMahon's right-hand man, and we wish Nick Khan the very best in his new venture. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting this all together, putting up with me. I don't know how she does that every single week. I want to thank our 
guest this week, the great Laura Rutledge, as I called her at the outset, and the fantasy expert, John Hansen. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we'll be back with more interviews, insight, and information. Until then, have a great week, be well, and stay safe.